when I talk about extraordinary talent, I'm looking for people whose character matches the organization, whose competency matches the role, and whose chemistry matches the team. Welcome to another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. So if this is your first time tuning in, I just want to welcome you to the Kelly family and let you know that we exist to help you grow as a leader, whether you're jumping into a new position within your company, whether you have eyes on the executive suite, or you're just getting ready to jump into the entrepreneurial world and start your own business, we exist for you. So if you want to get a hold of some of our faculty and check out some of the research they're they're working on, maybe you're an organizational leader, you're wrestling with... uh, a particular leadership topic or you have a tough conversation you need to have and you want some advice or you just know of an individual who'd make a great guest for our show, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email to ROIPod. That's R-O-I-P-O-D at I-E-P-U-I dot E-D-U. Well, as organizations grow, as we work hard to build the next generation of companies, one of the most important factors above all else are the people you bring along with you and the culture in which is created to facilitate those people within your organization. So today's episode, we have a really special treat. We are going to sit down with D. Ann Turner, the former Vice President of Talent and Sustainability at Chick-fil-A and author of Bet on Talent, How to Create a Remarkable Culture that Wins the Hearts of Customers. Fun note, she just came out with another book as well in March called Crush Your Career, Ace the Interview, Land the Job, and Launch Your Future. But today we're going to focus on creating that winning talent and culture. So Deanne, I just want to welcome you to the ROI podcast. Thank you so much. It is a pleasure to be with you today, Matt. So let's talk about this book. Obviously, you know, in in one of the cases you build for uh, having an amazing organization is the team and the people. It's all about the people within your organization. So I'd love to start out with, you know, your thesis and your view um, of the importance of having the right talent on your team. Well, even by the title of the book, you know, I, I received an email uh, recently and somebody was telling me that at first they didn't want to read the book. They, they didn't like the title. And then they came to understood what I meant by talent, that talent was the people. Um, and I think and that's why it's called bet on talent, because when you think about all the choices an organization can choose about how they're going to uh, win in the marketplace, they can choose strategy, they can choose technology, they can choose marketing. But really, it's the people. The people decisions are the most important decisions they're going to make because people are going to execute all those other things that I just mentioned. So um, for me, that's why that's so important. And that's why I say people decisions are the most important decisions that a leader makes. 
and you know, you obviously were part of an incredible uh, organization. I call it God's chicken. You know, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, just have, have such a great fondness for Chick-fil-A. And I don't think it's just because the food and the quality of food in which it's produced, but I really do think it stems into the culture of how people are received. I mean, you walk in, you feel at home, you feel welcome. I mean, it's not just a walk in, give your order and sit down. I mean, it's, it's a welcoming process. So talk about your time. Uh, you know, you've been over there for over 33 years. Talk about that time um, that you spent at Chick-fil-A and how that shaped you writing this book. Well, I had so many stories um, from all of that, thir- all of those 33 years that I was Chick-fil- at Chick-fil-A and I had been storing those up. And um, I'd always wanted to be a writer from the time I was eight years old. And so when Truett Cathy passed away in September of 2014 was when I really began putting these stories down on paper. And some people ask me, how long did it take you to write the book? And I say 30 years because it really, you know, it was um, things that I collected over all of that time. And so I started writing these stories. And the main reason I did it, the, it was really an internal piece. I was really focused internally. I wanted those of us who had learned directly from Truett about how he thought uh, culture and the importance of culture and people and what he thought about that. I wanted to be sure that we never forgot it, those who knew it. And then those who would come out, and, and really since 2014, thousands of people have come after him, um, that they would know what was important to the founder of the business and understand the foundation from which all this was started. And so that was what inspired me to write the book. So really after I left Chick-fil-A and I started working with other organizations, what I realized is that a rising tide lifts all ships. And to share this information just creates a better marketplace. You know, as I worked uh, for Truett all those years, he was always so generous uh, and generous in so many different ways. And for me, it was a opportunity to share what I knew and what I learned with other people that could help them create that kind of atmosphere in their organization so that employees could enjoy coming to work every day and customers could have a great experience every time they visited that business. I love that phrase, you know, a rising tide lifts all ships. And I think it is really powerful because, you know, one of the things we believe here on the show is as an organizational leader develops, I mean, the the, organization is only as good as the individuals on the team. You know, the the organizational culture or anything else isn't going to surpass, you know, where the CEO and the values of the CEO or all the other organizational um, leaders. So, uh, you know, talk about, you know, how that, that quote um, has has influenced you in your decision-making uh, during your time at Chick-fil-A? Yeah, I think about the franchisees that are, are really the heart of the Chick-fil-A business and the way they work together. You know, some of them are miles apart from one another, and it would be easy to be in competition. But one of the things that many of them have done is they become extremely collaborative in building the brand. And they realize that when they built the brand, Um, together and created a seamless customer experience, whether the customer came to this location or that location, they they recognized that it made both of them more successful. And so that's what I think of when I think of that quote is I really think of the Chick-fil-A operators in all of these markets across the country that work together to build this brand so um, so that it causes all of them just to be that much more successful. You know, there's a there's a saying, and it's quite fitting. I think that we're talking about you know a, a company around you know whose main product is chicken, but you know the chicken does come before the egg. 
uh, is one of the old adages. And in your book, you know, you talk about talent and you talk about culture. So my question in, in the, through the lens of chicken coming before the egg, which comes first, which one's the chicken? Is it the culture, the talent? I mean, how are those related? You know, what do you work on first as an organizational leader begins to dive into their company and say, okay, you know, I want to build a winning team and to have a winning culture. Does it, does it, the focus become, let's get the culture first, the talent first, or, or is it part of the same? Now, you can make an argument for either, but I have to say that I think culture comes first. And here's the reason why. Um, that lays the foundation. You have to have the right culture to attract the kind of talent you want in your organization. Extraordinary talent. If you don't have a remarkable culture, you're not going to be able to attract them. On the other hand, you have to have remarkable, uh, extraordinary talent to create a remarkable culture. So, But I think laying that foundation of culture uh First, if I, you know, when I started my own company, for example, I left Chick-fil-A and started, I mean, the first thing I did was why I wrote my why, what is my purpose? Why do I exist at all? You know, and then what is the big goal I want to accomplish through a challenging mission? And then what are my core values? And that way, whenever, whether I was selecting talent to be a part of my organization or I was partnering with someone else, those are the things we could talk about. This is the foundation for this business that we're in together. So I think that that's, um, I think that culture comes first, but I think the very next thing is then you have to select talent that's going to continue to grow and strengthen that culture and that will be attracted to that culture that you've built. And I think sometimes that can become the tough part is picking the right talent that meets because obviously, you know, you're trying to align your organizational values with the values of, of an individual to uh, be a part of this team that you're trying um, to build. And, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, especially in the interview process, and I think in, in the modern interview process, everyone gets really, really good at crafting a, their own narrative or crafting their own facade in a way, um, that initial facade, but then, you know, later on, uh, sometimes it may not be all that it is. And so aligning the talent and values, you know, can be, can be a challenge at times, maybe, or maybe not. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious for, for organizational leaders trying to build, bring in the right talent. How do you know, you work to, uh, make that alignment more, more natural or make that alignment happen where you're able to really dive into, uh, the, the right person for the right place on your team? You know, one thing that I think is a little counterintuitive sometimes for organizations is to recognize that when you're selecting talent, 50% of the decision is the person you're trying to attract to your organization. And so one of the things you want to do is you want to be so transparent about what you're offering, about what the organization like, what the team is like, so that and what your purpose, mission, and values is, so people can actually stream themselves in or out. So that's the first thing I wanted to kind of um, come back with that that thought because I think we forget that sometimes. Then as we move into, so how do we ex- select this extraordinary talent? Well, I use three criteria. The first one is character. I'm looking for someone with character that matches the organization. You know, when you think about the culture of your organization. It's really the sum total of the character of the people in your organization. That makes up the culture. So character is really important. I think you start with character. You're looking for someone, not that their personal purpose, mission, and values lines up exactly with your organization, but just that they can be aligned and that they can be complementary to one another. And then secondly, I'm going to look for competency, competency that matches the role. 
we obviously know what competency is. It's the, it's, um, the know-how to get done what needs to be done. Um, and when you're looking at that, if you're looking and thinking long-term, you're not just thinking about current roles. You're thinking about roles you might not even have in your organization yet. They could actually be jobs not invented. So you want people that have the kind of competency, not just to fill the role that you have today, but that can fill future roles in your organization. And then lastly, my third criteria is I'm going to look for chemistry, chemistry that matches the team. And some people think that chemistry is everybody having a personality that gets along with one another. Hey, that's nice if people do, but that's really not what chemistry is. Chemistry, when it's done really well, is when people come together who are actually very different and they bring their perspectives and the chemistry of the team is so good that they're able to collaborate together and influence one another about their perspectives. That's truly great chemistry. So in a nutshell, that's what I'm looking for. When I talk about extraordinary talent, I'm looking for people whose character matches the organization, whose competency matches the role and whose chemistry matches the team. You know, and I know a lot of times too, uh, when you start bringing a lot of people on your team, you know, obviously as an organizational leader, it, it is up to you to then have to also protect that culture because, you know, like you said, and I think that's a great point is that you're not looking for the person that matches exactly to a T that meets meets all of your values. But some people will bring in, uh, you know, their ideologies and beliefs that not 100% don't align. Um, you know, so when it comes to protecting that culture, when you bring those people on the team, but yet protecting, how do organizational leaders work to protect what they've started to build from the beginning, which is why do we exist and not allow it to kind of get off the rails? Because culture doesn't live in a vacuum. If an organizational leader isn't stepping in and making, setting these boundaries, well, then someone else in the organization intentionally or unintentionally, you know, will set the culture? You know, I, I don't think often about it as being protecting the, the culture as much as I think about strengthening the culture. So you're constantly growing and strengthening it. Um, there, there are things that impact you, whether they're external to the organization or internal changes that happen, that you're making these fine adjustments. So you have to know where um, the base is. The base is your purpose, your why. But I think it comes to values. And so if it, it, um, I always call them demonstrated core values as an important element of your culture. And so once the organization decides what their core values are, they must be demonstrated and they must be communicated constantly to everyone in the organization or that's where you start to lose the culture. So I'm going to give you an example. One of my favorites is actually from Chick-fil-A. They have a core value that says we're here to serve. Well, from the time I walked in the very first day of work at Chick-fil-A in 1985 to the day I walked out in 2018, I never doubted that I was there to serve. And every one of us that worked there is there to serve somebody. The people on the front line are serving the customer. The franchisees are serving their team members and customers. And the people at the support center, they're serving those franchisees and their team members. There's a saying around Chick-fil-A called, if you're not selling chicken, you better be serving someone who is. And so that value was lived out constantly. So how would, in that situation, how could the culture deteriorate? Well, um, if the leaders of the organization, all of a sudden, they weren't demonstrating that servant leadership anymore. You know, you didn't find them when they walked through the parking lot and they walked past the piece of trash on the ground, either at the support center or at a restaurant or, um, you know, they, um, I could go down the list of all the ways 
that we see we have opportunities to serve others. But if they weren't demonstrating that, that would start to be a chink in the armor of the culture. So those demonstrated core values and, and especially that leaders live them out is really important. And so if you use the word protection, that's one of the ways you protect your culture is to be sure that it's being lived out and uh, communicated constantly. I love that delineation. I think it is very, very wise to say, you know, protect and strengthen versus just defending as if it's always under attack. Um, and I, for, for organizational leaders, maybe who uh, have either come into an organization, maybe they've um, acquired an organization, or maybe they're just starting and, and they've had some of these moments where they haven't put in that, you know, initial groundwork of really getting, getting into the culture and, and growing it, you know, what are some ways in which organizational leaders can strengthen or work to um, live out those values so that they can be an example uh, for the rest of their team to show, Hey, this is who we are as an organization. Well, first of all, it's a mindset. And I think that you have to select for it. So, if you're selecting for servant, uh, if you if you want a servant oriented uh, or servant leadership oriented organization, then you're going to have to select people that are oriented towards serving. That's um, I assume you can learn that behavior, but you're really looking for people who are already wired wired that way. So you're looking at so how do they serve in their community and and in what ways can you you know you can even talk about what role they play in the family and learn a lot about um, their service attitude. So I think that that is number one, is that you're looking for people who uh, you select people that way. And then secondly, um, I think that, you know, I, I even think about this time here we are um, in a crisis, you know, and that's a time when you go back to your roots and you look at, okay, why am I here? Why are we here as an organization? What is our purpose? Um, and how are we going to display that to guests? So while I'm not at Chick-fil-A and I don't talk about the things they do now because I don't know, I'm not there. As a customer, I've really watched what they've done during the COVID crisis, for example, during the pandemic. They, um, they immediately turned that we're here to serve, we serve guests into we're here to care about guests. This is a tough time for our guests and we want this to be a delightful experience when they come. So they took that why and those core values and they turned it into this opportunity um, to serve. And so one of the amazing things they did was put hand-washing stations outside every Chick-fil-A restaurant. There are over 2,500 Chick-fil-A restaurants. And as a customer, that just really impressed me because it said, it said to the team member, we care about you. We're going to make this easy for you. We're going to give you a hand-washing station outside. You don't have to keep running in out of the building. And it said to the customers, we care about you because our team members, we've made it convenient for them to wash their hands and prevent spread of disease constantly while they're serving you. And those are the ways that I think that we, when we're grounded in our purpose, no matter what comes at us, a crisis can come at us and we'll come up with a solution that's based on our values um, to be able to overcome that crisis and live out those values. You know, one thing I want to get into is uh, when we were talking on the phone prior to this podcast interview was we were discussing this idea of the difference between the culture and the brand. Of, of an organization. I think sometimes those do marry and then, but at the same time they do exist um, in, in different fields. So, you know, talk about the difference of, of branding uh, your organization and the culture of your organization. I think culture is who you are. 
I often say culture is the soul of the organization. I think brand is how others see you. Now, sometimes they can be really aligned and sometimes that can be very, very different. Um, and of course, the organizations that we admire most often is when the culture and the brand actually align. But they're, they're, very two, they're two very different things for sure, because I think that culture is, is really the core of who you are. It's your soul. But the brand can be positive or negative, um, can be derived from what others think of you and observe and communicate with others about you. And with the communication piece, you know, obviously there's communication externally within your brand and communication internally, sometimes within that communication, uh, you know, if we get into the culture and kind of that whole strengthening and protecting culture, um, you know, when, when you're communicating within, within your team and you have um, individuals um, that, let's say, you know, are having a, a tough time of catching the culture, you know, maybe uh, they're just, they're, there's just something for lack of better terms, there's just something going on and they're, they're not, they're not quite grasping the culture of your organization. How as an organizational leader, do you come alongside them and not really give them like the, the business of, you know, how can you, why can you not follow this? Why can you not do this? But coming alongside them and said, Hey, you know, how can we get you to, you know, how can I be your, your ally? How can I be your partner? How can I, you know, help mentor you uh, to, to get a hold of what we're trying to do as an organization? You know, that is a really, really difficult thing because if you didn't select somebody that's already in tune with your culture, it's really hard to get them to change. And oftentimes what I found is they're more interested in thinking that they can change your culture than they are to adapting. So selection obviously is very important. But let's say that you've got somebody who comes in and um, I've seen this too. I, I, I like to find that they're sort of uncommitted. They're not really trying to change your culture and they weren't a fit to begin with. What do you do with the uncommitted ones? Well, I think it's really important is that you get a culture champion to walk alongside of them, to mentor them. Um, to um, And what they have to see is not what you're going to say to them. It's what they're going to experience. So you want that mentor that's going to come alongside to them to be somebody who walks the talk and and you know, represents the culture of the organization to a T. And they're, they're going to, um, that this employee is going to learn by observation rather than so much what somebody tells them. And obviously, you know, when sometimes when that person's not a fit, you know, sometimes that tough conversation needs to be had of maybe, hey, maybe this isn't the place for you to be or this is the team to be a part of, you know, and, uh, and one one thing we did an interview a while back on culture um, uh, with the, the pastor of a church here, um, and he said that, you know, if you have a strong culture that it you know, it kind of takes care of, of itself and, and people, you know, not really having to have really tough conversations where it's like, you're fired. So see you later. Here's the door. But it's almost that, Hey, you know, I, the, the individual starts to think, you know what, it's something I'm just not, I'm not aligning here. You know, I'm, I'm, maybe this is not the place for me. And instead of saying, Hey, you're fired. Sorry, you're gone. It almost becomes a, Hey, are you, are you okay? And then out of their own admission, they're like, you know what? I, I just don't think that I fit, you know, maybe, maybe this isn't the place for me, you know, talk about uh, maybe in a, in a different light or a different way, how having a strong culture, you know, also helps protect an organization at times um, from a, a boss always having to have that rotating door of people coming in and out. Well, I think again, when you, um, and, and, you know, my fallback is to selection and that'll always be my belief because I came out of an organization where we, uh, 
we actually didn't, when I went to work there, I didn't have a budget for separation. I didn't have a budget for terminations, which is very unusual for an HR person. I had this really great budget for selection and I had a pretty healthy budget for developing people, but no budget for termination. And it's because Truett's belief was that we wouldn't need to make those changes. That if you selected the right person to begin with, you wouldn't find yourself in that situation. But I do believe in, in, in rare instances where I actually lived through that, um, that would happen, that people would come in and that they would recognize, um, you know, the culture would be so strong. Um, you know, this isn't a fit. Now, here's the downside of that is in the meantime, you know, other people have to suffer through that. And so if they see somebody who doesn't fit in their, you know, part of the organization for any period of time, you can start to get this creep, you know, of, of negativity or um, toxicity even that comes into the organization. So um, I think that that goes back to the point of why selection is so very, very important that you get it right to begin with. And then secondly, that when you do see that you address it pretty quickly with people or otherwise um, it, it starts to infect and it's a cancer that grows through the organization. So um, you really have to be sure that you're addressing those things as they come up. You know, as you spent 33 years at an incredible uh, organization, you know, what was one of your or a few of your greatest takeaways now that you have are able to, you know, take a, take a reflection back at your 33 years? Um, you know, what are some of the values that you hold closest to your chest because, because of this great organization? So one way that somebody asked me, have asked me that question is, why did you stay there so long? Um, and the culture would be like, you know, the overall umbrella answer, but there were some very specific things about it. And one of those was how much I felt cared for. Uh, that was, you know, the people in the organization care for one another. And and how much value there is in that, you know, that you've, you, we used to say um, that we live, you know, at Chick-fil-A, we don't just work together, we live life together. And so, you know, these were the people that when my dad died, you know, the funeral home was full of people from Chick-fil-A. The people who, you know, were calling and asking about me was really my Chick-fil-A family, even more so than my church family or, you know, other friends, it was the Chick-fil-A people. And so there was this this caring thread in that organization about how much they cared for one another. And so that value has, has really stuck with me. And when I think about of all the things I learned, maybe one of the most significant important one things that I learned around values was this spirit of generosity that I saw in Truett Cathy. And um, it wasn't just that Truett happened to have a lot of money in a very successful company and gave a lot, way a lot of money. Yeah, he did that. But it was the way he facilitated opportunities for people. And so, you know, one of the early stories of one of the things he facilitated was a young man named Eddie White that worked in his restaurant when Truett didn't have any money. And Eddie was one of his best employees and he wanted to go to college. But, but Eddie was the oldest, I think, of seven children in his family. And it just wasn't going to be possible, even though this young man was really capable. And so Truett found a way to help him. And he put a jar in his uh, next to the cash register back when people used to do things like that. And it was, and it said on it, Eddie's college fund. And, you know, the, the, and this is, this is back in the 1950s, I think. So 
um, you know, this was a time when lots of people didn't necessarily have a lot of money, but they dropped that change in there. And when it came time for Eddie to go to school, True had asked him how much money was in the jar. And he said about half of what I need. And the next day, Truett had dropped, a had dropped a check in the jar for the rest of the amount Eddie needed to go to school. But, you know, he didn't stop there. He took Eddie downtown to the nicest men's clothing store in Atlanta. And he went in and, and the joke is he bought him everything from his underwear to a couple sports coats, sport coats to make sure he had what he needed to go to college. Um, and, you know, that was long before Truett had a lot of money. That was just because he was a generous man. Late in his life, he was still going to his own restaurant, picking up homemade lemon pies and taking them to the widows in his neighborhood. That's real generosity. And I think that's what I learned from Truett. It's not just about, you know, tithing 10% or writing a check somewhere, but real generosity is giving not just of your treasure, but of your time and your talent too. And I think that's one of the biggest takeaways that I'd want, you know, that had an impact on my life was the spirit of generosity that I learned from Truett Cathy. Finally, as we begin to wrap up, where can people go uh, to get your book or to get a hold of you or to get any resources if they want to go deeper um, in this topic? Sure. Well, there's lots of places. You can start on my website, dnturner.com. And then you can also go and uh, LinkedIn is a great place to join up with me. I have a Facebook author page, Deanne Turner Author. I'm on Instagram at Deanne Turner. I occasionally visit Twitter at Deanne Turner. And I tell you what, if your group, um, anybody um, wants to send me an email, Deanne, D-E-E-A-N-N, at DeanneTurner.com, and they send me an email and they mention this podcast, I'll send them a PDF of my top 25 behavioral interview questions, um, some content, and would be happy to share that with them. They can just send me, drop me an email. But pick up my books anywhere books are bad on talent is any is out currently. You can get that from Amazon, Baker Books, the publisher, anywhere books are sold. And then my next book, Crush Your Career, Ace the Interview, Land the Job and Launch Your Future comes out on March 2nd. It is available for pre-order on Amazon today. Awesome. Deanne Turner, such an honor and a pleasure uh, to have you here as our guest. Again, this is Deanne Turner, former vice president of talent and sustainability at Chick-fil-A. She's also the author of Bet on Talent, How to Create a Remarkable Culture that Wins the Hearts of Customers. And her new book coming out in March, Crush Your Careers, Ace the Interview, Land the Job, and Launch Your Future. Deanne, again, thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you. It's been my pleasure, man. This has been another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. We'll see you next week.